Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. This morning's reading is Psalm 121, verses 1 to 8. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. I heard the build up there. Wasn't Mal great? Wasn't Chris great? Today you've got Richard. Okay. Um, no pressure. And this is upside down. That's a great start. Um, good to be back um, with you. Thank you for in- inviting me back. And especially those who didn't want me back, thank you for your grace. Um, I fell in love a while ago. Uh, so my wife knows about it because I was on holiday. And I fell in love with a mountain. And it was called the Matterhorn. The Matterhorn. Look at it. It's like a great chunk of Toblerone, isn't it? Okay, Toblerone was based on that, that mountain, not the other way around. And I, I just fell in love with the place. And I was so excited about going uh, to see it. Um, I got so excited, I got shingles as well, just to throw that into the mix. So there was this danger, you're not going to get there, you're not going to get... I so wanted to see this particular mountain. So I arrived in Zermatt, and it was a little bit misty, clouds. And I'm saying to the guide, I say, so where's the Matterhorn? And say, oh, she's up there, she, she's up there somewhere. I thought, what do you mean, up there somewhere? It doesn't move around, it's got, got to be there. And, she's, and he said, yes, um, the thing is, she doesn't always show herself to people. I've come a long way to see this mountain. I hope that she's going to show herself to me. And I was, you know, having my breakfast, looking out the window. No, can't see it, still a bit misty, cloudy. Walking around the town, pretending to enjoy the shopping. And I was sort of looking around, well, where is this Matterhorn? And I can remember the moment I was crossing a little road and I happened, just happened to glance down the street and there, we would think of it as a halo, in a circle of cloud was the Matterhorn. She was there. She showed herself to me. I <clears throat> was a very, very happy bunny at that point. It was just magical. What, what, a, what a creation a mountain like that is. And what a creator we have to put such beauty into our lives. Now, our motto text from Ezekiel 47, 9 tells us that where the river flows, everything will live. Now, I want to take us on a little bit of a journey up from the rivers and the lakes and the seas, but maybe still following the streams. But we're going uphill, and that can be a struggle. I often view the Christian life and the Christian journey and ministry, the ministry as a sort of a journey. And sometimes we're going with the flow and sometimes we're battling against it. But all journeys have a destination and we're going somewhere in this life. 
It's not an aimless stroll in the dark. Now, I remember once scrambling to the top of another mountain, and that was Mount Snowdon in Wales. Now, for someone as unfit as I was, it was a challenging climb. And one could see the others on the mountain path really struggling with the steepness and the rough terrain, the altitude. Not for me. I went up on the train. (laughs) But... I have scaled some lesser mountains and hills, and I remember, and perhaps you do too, as you walk onto the summit, you think, what an amazing reward was mine, being able to see all around me. There were no hindrances, there was no obstructions, it was just on the top, and we could see four miles. So if you've ever climbed a hill or a mountain, you'll appreciate that the endurance and the perseverance and the hard work in getting to the peak is actually brought into perspective only when you've reached the top and you can see the view. Getting to the peak and seeing the view is is just pure joy. Yet without the hard work, without the perseverance, without the endurance, the struggle, there would have been no summit moment on that day. And in our lives, we often encounter mountains of a different sort. Those difficult times are likened to climbing a mountain. And in the Bible, the mountains come in all shapes and sizes. Some very important things happened on mountains. In the Bible, they they may be called hills or mountains or mounts. So we're going to go on a a climb up some of the Bible hills and mountains. Because as it said in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. You see, a good Bible climb will make us ask some important questions like, where does my help come from? Where did you get that energy from? And come to some very important conclusions. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, we all need help from time to time. When we experience poor health, bereavement, job loss, broken relationships, the loss of a significant person, a pandemic... Many here will witness to the fact that the actual help that gets you through these difficult times is the help that comes from the Lord and the people that he sends to us. You know, there's always plenty of help when you're preparing a service. People pray for you. They offer to help. They get orders of service sorted. The musicians practice. The the stewards welcome you. The, The technical preparations are made. The list goes on and on. So when I was getting my mountain theme underway, I thought I'd ask some friends for help in choosing suitable worship songs. Well, I had some good suggestions, but if I'd left it to one friend, we'd be singing River Deep Mountain High, Blueberry Hill, and She'll Be Coming Round the Mountain. Thanks, Jim. The good thing is that God does not really hear the music. God does not hear the singing. God doesn't hear the instruments. God is listening out for us to worship him in any form that we can offer. I think Chris referred to that last week. And it may be that the songs my friend suggested could be used to worship God. But I fear many of us would find it very hard to focus on the Almighty while singing, she'll be wearing pink pyjamas. So I left the choice of worship songs to those who know what they are doing and lead the worship so beautifully. Now, what do you think of when you picture a mountain? Is it like the start 
of the sound of music. No singing. Is it like the start of the sound of music? The clouds, the bird song. It's, it's a... No, don't even be tempted to. It's a horror film. The first words, the hills are alive. That is scary for a lot of people. That is very, very scary. And getting through the teenage years, that can seem like a mountain. It is more like parent-aging than teenaging, to be honest. But when I was a teenager, uh, that's a long time ago, I had some mountains to climb. And one of them, doing what pleased my parents, commandment number five. Now, we're going to stop on a mountain a bit later on to consider the Ten Commandments. But first, why do people climb mountains? You've often heard it said, oh, because it's there. Well, you can't argue with that. Mums win every argument with, because I say so. And you can't argue with that either. So my mum suddenly said to my dad and I, remember, I'm a teenager, very vulnerable, very sensitive, There's a new film come out in the cinema. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh, night out, could be good, free ice cream. She said, it's called The Sound of Music. All right, I think I've heard of that. And my dad's sort of shuffling around. He said, we should all go as a family. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, Yes, it would. So we, oh, I thought, I'm going out with my parents as a teenager Oh, come on. And we're going to the cinema to see the sound of music, which is all nuns and singing and stuff. And, and the, what if my friends are there? What if my friends are in the cinema and they see me as a teenager? What? No, if my friends are there, we will never talk about this again. So we went to the sound of music in the cinema. We even met mum and dad. I think I was probably sat in the middle, loving it. At the end of the film, actually it was a very good film, I wasn't going to tell my mum that, of course. Did you enjoy the film? It's all right. Which bit did you like? The end. You know, those sorts of replies. We've all done it, or we'll do it. But I went because mum said so, and I should be doing what mum says and what, what dad says. So a couple of weeks later, my mum is sort of busy in there, and she's saying, I really enjoyed that film. I'm thinking, yeah. I'd like to see it again. What, but Dad doesn't want to see it. He, and I can't, it, it, you know, cat's eyes in Shrek, the, you know, and I can't go on my own. I need somebody to go with me. <sighs> but I'm, twice I went to see The Sound of Music as a teenager, right, with me mum this time. Oh, thank you for your sympathy. Grandma came to stay a few weeks later. (laughs) She only had one eye. That didn't work very well. We'd have to have two of us, one either side. We're going to have to go in the daytime. Three times I went and saw the sound of music. And last Christmas I watched again and I loved it. But I did it because it seemed the right thing to actually do. That was a mountain for me to climb uh, as a teenager and hardly one of the peaks of my teenage years, but I can talk about it without therapy now. Sometimes people are very reluctant to do something or to go somewhere. They can overthink it and miss out on something great. Like like Jim said uh, a while back, referring to our motto text for this year, they are happy to stay in the safety of the shallow waters. 
People don't always want to come to church. People don't always want to log in at home and watch it on on Zoom. We have to make that effort. Well done you that have. Well done those at home that have. People don't always want to commit to serving on a rotor. And yet, once you try something new, once you offer to help, the blessings can far outweigh the nerves of embarking on that new ministry or that new commitment. But spiritual mountains are not measured by how many come to our church, what size our offerings are, or what kind of programs we run. Now, these peaks are not about what we have done or what we will do. They're about something, I think, far more important than that. These peaks that we scale in life are about what you are and who you are becoming. Obeying my parents, especially my mum, pleasing them, actually helped to shape me. Now, I have to give you a health and safety warning. Some people, this will be the highlight of their day. They love a bit of health and safety. When you go up mountains, you must watch out for slippery paths. Bad things have happened on high places. We've all heard of tragedies that befall climbers and and walkers on mountains. And people used to worship false gods on high places. And yet, mountains can also give us a feeling of reassurance. I was thrilled to see the Matterhorn. They're always there. That real sense of permanence about them. Mountains last forever and are one of the things that make me think of eternal things. I hope it does you as well. They move me, they move you perhaps closer to God, the creator of all things. Now mountains are often a part of a range of hills and high places So our Bible mountains can sometimes be a bit difficult to track down to an exact spot. So we'll move away from Julie Andrews and we'll go to Mount Ararat. Now in Genesis 8, it says, On the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Noah and his family probably didn't know where the ark had settled or actually what the place was called. You know, how did it get its name? I like the idea that Mrs. Noah was counting the animals off. And somebody distracted her uh, and said, uh, where's this place? And she went, ah, a rat. And they said, oh, right, I will call it a rat. We don't know. Don't, please don't have that as the only thing you remember from today. But it will be the one that the dads will use. Yeah. The mountains of Ararat were a place of great hope and refuge for Noah. You see, he'd been floating around, as it says, for months. He seemed lost in a sea that had no end. Noah's obedience to God and his leadership had brought him into a place of isolation. At that moment, he and his family were completely on their own. What today we would call extreme social distancing. Noah knew that he had found favour in the eyes of God because he and his family were the only ones alive. Yet despite this, Noah, it seemed had been forgotten. Of course he hadn't, but it might have seemed to him that he'd been forgotten for nearly eight months. Or perhaps that could be how he began to think, how the whole family thought, as they drifted on a sea going in no particular direction from one month to the next. He heard nothing from heaven. God did not tell him how long he would be confined to the ark. God did not tell him when or how he would be released. Have you ever felt that God is leaving you just to drift. There are times when you just don't hear a word from God. You don't hear his voice. 
And very good men have sometimes been ready to conclude themselves forgotten by God. Perhaps Noah, though a great believer and a leader, found that great flood lasting much longer than he thought it would. Maybe he began to think, how long will you forget me, Lord? And the only thing he had to hang on to was the promise God had given him. We then find some great words of mercy. But God remembered Noah. Isn't it lovely? Sometimes just these simple little sentences. But God remembered Noah. I don't think he'd ever forgotten him. But in Noah's mind, he'd been remembered. And in my life, perhaps in yours, these words have been a blessing. They've been a lifeline that have sustained us and enabled us to press on. God remembered me. He answered my prayers. I've heard his voice again after a while of drifting. And the important and significant thing about this mountain is that Noah and his family didn't climb it. They were taken to it by God himself. It was a place of safety, a place of refuge, and a place of divine promise. If God had called Noah into the ark and shut him in, then it would be God who would open the door and lead him out. Noah's ark rested on Mount Ararat. And this teaches us to rest after a judgment, an upheaval in family life, or a relationship, or a job, or a church. Have a rest. Not Everest, that's another mountain, not in the Bible. Have a rest. As Chris said last week, ponder. Take time to ponder. Noah's family had gone through so much together. God had judged the world and sent a flood. He judged them as being the only good people left to do his work. And they'd been given a new start. God gives us a new beginning after an ordeal. Cling on to that leadership. And Mount Ararat is a place of rest, a chance to pause and reflect. Wow, that was a tough time that we've been through. Let's, let's just pause. Let's just refocus. And let's prepare for the next part of the journey. And then there's a rainbow, a sign of God's promise. We get, I still get very excited when I see a rainbow up in the sky. I get a little bit excited when I see the rainbow that's actually on that wall over there. It's a, something to do with the lights, I'm sure. But it's a reminder of God's promise. And some of you won't be able to see it. Did you know with rainbows, everybody sees a different rainbow depending where you are, you are standing. So that there's a sort of a, a, there's a very faint rainbow. It's not as good as God's, but it'll do for the illustration um, today. A sign of God's promise. Noah and his family were saved and forgiven. And we can be saved and forgiven too. Because Noah lived in a sinful society, but he remained obedient to God. And we still have that challenge in 2022. But unlike Noah, we also have the New Testament stories of Jesus to help in our obedience. Is Ararat is God's safe place, God's preservation. This is the mountain that God himself will take us to at certain times during our lives. When you're there, pause, reflect, ponder, and be led to the next part of your life's journey. And one of those New Testament stories we can draw on is when Jesus went up another mount and taught his disciples. And we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus taught from the flowers of the field and the birds. He was a great one for using visuals. Look at the flowers, look at the birds. He would tell people to look at, at things. Things 
about his kingdom could be brought out from looking around us, just like with mountains and flowers. He used visuals. Now, in my ministry, I use visuals as I know they can help people remember things and associate with the teachings of Jesus. And he told them at the end of the sermon about a wise man building his house on rock and a foolish one on sand. And the crowd was amazed by his teaching. Where did that crowd come from? Because when Jesus was on the mount, the people flocked to hear him. He began with just a few disciples, but the people were drawn up the mountain towards Jesus. The common folk heard him gladly. You know, it's good to be common every now and again, especially if we hear Jesus gladly. Are we drawing people to Jesus? Are we inviting people to Alpha or a service, to that tea? Getting through that door out there can be a challenge for someone on their own or a family new to the area. Are we going to be there to be by their side? We're off to Mount Sinai. Now, we're not going to do every mountain, I'll tell you. We're off to Mount Sinai. Now, another Old Testament mountain experience involving the Ten Commandments and Moses. And we find the account in Exodus. Now, Exodus looks like this. If we could just have the net. There, there it is. I don't even look at this. You see, Exodus begins in Egypt, and Exodus starts with an E. It goes across uh, through uh, Ten Commandments, the Roman X, the Roman numeral X for ten. So if you can't remember where the Ten Commandments are, they're in Exodus. Then there's the Odu. Odu is a breathing mark in the Greek root for journey. Tim would like this bit, wouldn't he? He used to like a bit of Greek coming It takes you to Sinai, that's the S, the place where God met with Moses. And the book of Exodus has got 40 chapters, and the Ten Commandments come in the middle of the book, chapter 20. So they're very easy to find. Not so easy to keep. But I expect when they were led to that mountain, it says in Exodus, Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, because Moses was the one that went up. And he came back with the Ten Commandments, which, of course, we all know, don't we? Uh, What's number four? Uh, Number six? Uh, Number three? Hang on. I got mocked for having old technology. I actually wanted to know HP, but this will do. Um, You'll have to explain to the young ones what an OHP is. Okay, Ten Commandments and, and a visual. The first one... Number one, they're ordered in this way. It's quite, quite easy, easy to do. Number one, there's only one God. That's the first thing he says. It's so important, he actually says it twice. Like that. Here's a little person praying. No two-timing. No two-timing. One God, no two-timing. Three, turn it on its side. You've got an M. Don't misuse my name. Don't misuse my name. Call me Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but do not misuse my name. Four, some of us might remember those old deck chairs that we used to do battle with on on the beach. They're sort of coming back. They're usually assembled for... They were a nightmare, weren't they? But number four is have a rest. Have a rest. In fact, it's saying keep the holy, keep Sabbath day holy. So sit down, rest. Like we're doing today, we're marking this day as something special to all, all the others. Number five, when we, Roy and I were working this one out, we got a bit of a problem this one, and then suddenly we thought, oh yes, let's put a pound note in front of it. 
works with euros as well. Five pounds. If you love your parents and you go up to them and say, can I have a fiver? If you've shown love to them, if you've respected them, if you've gone to the sound of music with them, then respect your parents. So we've got one God, no two timing, don't misuse my name, keep one day holy and honour your, honor your parents. Number six, the policeman will like, like this one, it's a hangman's noose, don't murder. Okay, anybody murdered anybody here? Anybody want to confess that now? You murdered a cup of tea. No, I wasn't thinking about that. I think it's a bit more, more than that. Has anybody ever thought of murdering someone? At the, oh dear, like, oh, number six, don't murder traffic lights. Yes, my brother, my sister. I can honestly say I have never, ever wanted to murder my brother or my sister. That's the advantage of being an only child. Number, <clears throat> used to do this with the children uh, in here. They loved it. Um, number seven, seven-year itch, all about adultery. Ask your parents at lunchtime. Number eight, <clears throat> you'll remember it. Number eight, put it on the set. Rob, this is your bit, okay? We end up with some, with some handcuffs, okay? Don't steal. Don't steal things. Number nine, that was another problem one until you're watching the television because it's all about being good to your neighbours. Neighbours, everybody loves good neighbours. Some of you will remember it. Some of you might remember this. There will be a test later. And the tenth one, you've got somebody perhaps very thin who's got nothing and somebody who's got everything and they just wish they had everything that person had or the person that's got a little bit too much weight wish they had. Don't envy others. Don't envy others. Moses didn't do it that way. That's the way that we can illustrate things. And it may be a way that you can remember it. What was number five? On your parents. Okay. Number three? Misuse your say. Okay. Visuals help. It's only what Jesus did. Uh, not in this way. But he used visuals to help people remember the, the stories. So Sinai is where God and man came face to face. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine something so amazing as actually coming face to face with God? It was a place of meeting with God himself. So this mountain is a place where God both shapes and molds, where he creates, where he owns us, where he gives us some rules to lead a good life. It's the mountain of abandonment to God. At this kind of moment, nothing else matters. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else follows. Were the whole world, no, was it? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. See, Isaac Watts, who wrote that, understood abandonment to God. And Sinai is the meeting place with God. As Christians, we have to be found on this mountain at times. We meet with him with no time limits, with no requests, no restrictions. Mount Sinai moment is a time when we are private with God. It's it's almost like a secret place. We lay ourselves bare to him. It's about intimacy. It's, It's about the divine. And like Moses, we can cry out to God, show me your glory It's a sacred place. The secret place shared by no one else. It's you and God in that moment together. And when we gather for communion a little later on, you'll be in a similar private moment. By taking of the bread and the wine, you join with our Lord and with God. 
That'll be a time of privacy, a time of intimacy. Even if everyone else around you is doing the same, it'll be just you and God in that special Sinai moment. Sinai, the mountain, and communion, the table, where we share with God a closeness and an intimacy with him. Moses viewed the promised land from Nebo. Didn't they have great names? Nebo. It was the name of a town and mountain where Moses died. He'd longed for the promised land, but he was not permitted to enter it. Have you felt that God has been taking you to see something and then not letting you reach it? Then you could be like Moses. He saw the promised land, but never entered it. Or or did he? Mount Hermon and Mount Tabor are about 9,000 feet high, and it's thought to be the mountain that Jesus climbed and where the transfiguration took place. It lies on the border of Syria, Lebanon, and Israel, and the snows from it form part of the source of the River Jordan. It's within the area that Moses referred to as the Promised Land. I don't know what your geography is like. Do you depend on sat-navs a lot these days? You know, I'm mentioning names there. Okay, you've actually all got a map with you. If you have a look at your left hand, that's the one with the thumb on the right, look at your left hand, and we've got here the coastline of the promised land. Okay? This is Mediterranean. This is, can you say Mediterranean, children? Mediterranean. Very good, Mediterranean. Come out to here. There's a bit of egg on there. Wipe it off. You've got egg wiped. Sorry, you've got Egypt. Egypt is out there. You come across over the mountains, and you come, oh, you come to the desert. Look at, look at all the maps. Look at, all the, look, and look at somebody else's. Everybody, your map's different to mine. There's paths and lines and everything. And, and your, your map's different to mine as well. No wonder they got lost going across the desert. They couldn't find their way. But when they went all the way across, they come to Sinai on this side. So we've got Egypt over here around the Mediterranean. Across the desert, there's Sinai. Oh, in the middle of there somewhere. Have you ever seen these maps where it says, you are here? There's a place called Ur. You are. Abraham was born there. It got Ur. Ur, what a great. Hopeless to know Abraham wouldn't have gone to school, but you know, said, where'd you come from? Ur. He would have sounded a bit stupid, wouldn't he? Okay, but that, that's Ur. Right, if you look up here, you've got three rivers. You've got three rivers. You better keep your fingers together, otherwise all the water will drop out. So you've got the Jordan. Jordan, you can say it with me if you want, children. Here's the Jordan. Here's the Euphrates, spelt with an E. I don't know why, but it's quite handy. And the other one's the Tigris. So it's a jet, J-E-T, it's a jet of water. Now, if you go to the top of the Jordan, you're, you're in Galilee, and if you come right the way down and press as hard as you can, you won't feel anything because you're at the Dead Sea. If you hold it up, you can actually see the shape of the Dead Sea there as well. Some of you will be seeing the Sea of Galilee as well, which is good news in one way, but it might mean you've got a bit of arthritis as well. So we've got all these places that we can explore and, and go, uh, go across. And we've got that with us so that we can actually tell of uh, the stories. So let's just hear part of the story of Moses as it's told in Matthew. And listen out for the two people that appeared with Jesus. This is Matthew 17, just the first few verses. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Who was there with Jesus? Elijah and Moses. You see, Moses did make it 
to the promised land. He did make it. And if we feel we're never going to make it somewhere, trust in God, we will get there. Maybe not in the way we expect. And this transfiguration is an important part in Jesus' ministry as he is revealed in a special way to his disciples. And if you read the gospel versions again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all the camp for it, it poses all sorts of questions. Why did Jesus choose to reveal himself to his disciples like this? And why did he choose just three and not the twelve? Why were the disciples instructed not to talk about the event? Could you have kept quiet about it? How can Jesus be fully man and fully God? If Jesus, is Jesus just a name to you? Or has he revealed himself to you as more than just a name? People thought Moses was the greatest of all time. Yeah, he was a great leader, but he was nothing to what was to come later. Jesus Christ, son of God, the one to whom we give the highest honor. We have to put Jesus higher than the highest mountain that we know. And the top of a mountain can seem distant, and God can feel distant at times, but of course, it's us that's moved away, never him. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He never rests or sleeps. As Sharon read, he will not let your foot slip. He will watch you over you, will not slumber. He loves us too much for that. And he commands us to remember his son in bread and in wine. Another quick stop of the mountain of obedience is Mount Moriah, a place where God tested Abraham, told Abraham to go to this mountain and sacrifice the thing that was most precious to him, his son Isaac. But God stopped Abraham from killing his son and sent a ram as a sacrifice. Abraham obeyed, and we see in that story the image of Jesus who came to be a sacrifice for us all. But we're no longer living by the ancient laws. Jesus came to set us free and lead us towards a heavenly city. We are marching to Zion, the wonderful city of God. And guess what? Yep, it's on a hill. It's one of the hills on which Jerusalem is built. It's first mentioned in scripture when David captures the city and afterwards it's something referred to as David's hill. And the name Zion becomes synonymous with Jerusalem as time passes. Zion's often seen as the hope for the Jewish nation. It's there that God will dwell with his people at the end of time. And in Revelation 21, we see a new picture of Zion. It contains some of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible. And it challenges us as a church to look to the future and explain to others how different it will be from what we are going through now. Verse 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Do those words make you feel good? If you get to the top of a hill or a mountain, you feel good, exhausted, but good. I made it to the top, we tell people. 
And people talk of mountaintop experiences, the best times of our lives. We try to forget about all the valleys we had to trudge through to get there. We forget how difficult that trip to the summit might have been. Because Mount Zion is a mount of hope. If you're having a bad time just now, then we hope you can get over it and make it to the top of a mountain where you will feel good again. 